One of my favorite stories is of a mother who heard her son doing something in his room while she was doing the laundry. And so she went by his room and he was in there and he was preaching his heart out. Had the stand, had the stuffed animals and he had his Bible and he was preaching, preaching, preaching. And she just loved him. Well, she went on her way to continue with laundry, but it wasn't long before she heard some shouting and some banging. And so she rushed back in to her horror to find her child holding their cat over the bucket of water. She said, Johnny, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm baptizing Muffin. She said, but Johnny, don't you know that cats don't like water? And he said, well, then Muffin shouldn't have come forward. I love that. I love that story. (laughs) There is something about the preaching of the gospel and the response to that gospel. There's just something about when you get into the word of God and you dig into what the word teaches about the good news and the response to that good news of those, as we just sang, who are buried in water for the forgiveness of their sins. In Matthew 28, Jesus says in verse 18, Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We preach the good news, and we today are continuing to honor the Lord's commission and mission by preaching Jesus and his good news and the response to that good news as baptism. It could be that you have visited with us before, and you've heard us mention baptism before in our teaching about the response to this good news. Or it could be that some of you have been here before, and you've seen someone come forward and right behind us in this baptistry begin their journey with Jesus and be baptized But oftentimes, if you're not familiar with the Word of God, or if all this seems so new, there can be a lot of questions as to what baptism really is. Why would one be baptized? Why would one come forward and and be buried underwater? What what is that all about? What does it accomplish? Why why does God command and expect people to do that today? And that's what we're going to do. We're going to dig in the Word of God, and we're going to explore some common questions relating to baptism and just let the Word of God be our, be our guide and our answer and our teacher today. I think one of the greatest questions when it comes to common questions about baptism to begin with is, well, what really is baptism in the first place? Uh, here you talk about it and then mention it. What, what is that word? Well, the Greek word in our New Testaments for the word baptism is baptizo, which means immerse. It means to be submerged. I was watching the Food Network a couple of years ago, and the man was talking about how to make pickles. And he said you had to baptize your cucumbers in the pickle brine. You know what that did not mean? He didn't say, I want you to sprinkle the brine on top. I don't want you to pour it over your cucumber. What he was saying is you had to put that cucumber in the jar completely under the brine in order for it to become a pickle. He got it. That's what baptism is, completely immersed or submerged. And the language throughout the Bible supports this. Then in Romans 6, it talks about how we have been buried with them through baptism, buried. If someone is buried, it's not poor. They don't have a limb limb or an arm sticking out. They are completely under the ground or here and under the water in baptism. The same thing in Colossians 2 and verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism. You might look at an example like in Acts chapter 8. There was an Ethiopian eunuch who met a man named Philip, and he preached to him the gospel. And the response was this. 
The eunuch ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water. Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. So what is baptism? Well, it, it means to be immersed. It means to be buried. And in terms of what we're talking about, buried in water. Well, why would one do so? Why would you be baptized? Why would one be buried in water? And the simplest answer is it is a response to the gospel message. As we read here in Matthew chapter 28, or as we see in passages like in Mark 16, beginning in verse 15, where Jesus said, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. The good news, the good news that so many of us have taught one another today, we just sang it, that Jesus, the Son of God, left heaven and came to earth, and Jesus died on that cross for you and for I. His blood offered for our sins so you and I could be forgiven of all that we have done. That's the good news. And the response when someone has heard that good news and believes that good news is that they turn from their sin and they are baptized becoming the children of God. Jesus not only taught this, he illustrated this. He was the example of this. Because it says in Matthew 3, beginning in verse 13, that Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, to John, to be baptized by him. In verse 14, John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness, to fulfill righteousness, to show the example then and forever of one who seeks, desires to be righteous, to do what is right in the eyes of God. He was baptized, setting that great example. And so Jesus told his apostles, I want you to go into all the world and preach to them. The Son of God has come and died for the sins of the world. And they ought to, all who believe, be baptized in my name. And that's exactly what they did. You have your Bibles? We're going to be flipping today. You got to get your fingers warmed up. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2. Will you walk this with me? Jesus sent his apostles into all the world to preach the good news, and that's exactly what they did. In Acts chapter 2, the Jews were gathered in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And Peter, preaching a message, says in verse 36, Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. You were waiting for the Son of God. You were waiting for the Messiah. You just put him to death on the cross. And so in verse 37, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? The question they're asking is, in light of our sin and our standing before God, in light of the fact we just killed the Son of God, what could we possibly do to be right before him? And the answer in verse 38, Peter said to them, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You hear the answer? Turn from your sin and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Well, it says in verse 41 of our context that those who had received his words were baptized and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Go over to Acts chapter 8. When a disciple named Philip came to the town of Samaria and he came with the same mission that the apostles had of preaching the good news. When he came to this town in Samaria, it says in Acts chapter 8 and verse 12, it says, when they believed Philip, Preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. They were being baptized men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed. 
And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip as he observed signs and great miracles taking place and was constantly amazed. Philip came and he preached and he preached the good news and the response was those who believed it, they were baptized. They responded to that gospel message. And the end of this chapter, that eunuch we looked at before was reading from, from the prophet Isaiah. And in Acts 8 and verse 34, with the same Philip comes to this eunuch and the eunuch answers Philip. He says, please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or someone else? Who is this about? What is this passage about? Who is it talking about? Verse 35, Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. What's Jesus? The good news. What good news? That Jesus left heaven. That he left the Father. That he died on the cross for you and I. He preached that message. Verse 36, as they went their way along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water. Philip as well as the eunuch. And he baptized him. Philip preached. He preached Jesus. What was the response? He believed and he was baptized. In Acts chapter 16, the apostle Paul is preaching the gospel and he comes to the town of Philippi in Acts chapter 16. And in Acts chapter 16, as he is preaching the gospel to any and all who would hear him, in verse 14 of Acts 16, it says, A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening listening to the teaching of Paul, listening to the preaching of the good news. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. How did she respond to that good news? Verse 15, when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us saying, if you have judged me faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stayed. And she prevailed upon us. How did she respond to the preaching of Paul and that good news? She was baptized. Paul and his companion Silas are thrown in prison before this good news. But after being released by God's deliverance and an angel and amazing efforts, the jailer, having seen what took place, was convicted by the faith and example of Paul and Silas. And he says in verse 30 of Acts chapter 16, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. In verse 32, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him. They are preaching the good news to him together with those who were in his house, and they took him that very hour of the night and washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. What must he do? What was the response to Paul's preaching of the gospel to him that very hour of the night he was baptized? And on and on we can go. You see it on the board. After Jesus sent his apostles into the world, and he says, I want you to preach this good news message. When people heard that message and believed that message, the consistent response was that they turned from their sins and were baptized. It's not a one-off example. It's not an isolated case. Over and over again, when people heard the good news, they left their sin behind. They believed in what was preached about Jesus, and they buried their bodies in baptism in water, just as the Lord commanded. All right. We can get that so far. What's this all about then? If, if, if I were to do so and I were to be baptized in water, what, what, what's going on? What, why would I do so? I, I understand maybe why I'm being commanded, but what, what's going on if I am baptized? What's taking place? Well, we might start here. From our perspective, 
from the person who is coming to being baptized in one sense. It is a request for a good conscience. And that is taught to us in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21, where Peter, in the midst of a greater context, will say this, baptism, which corresponds to this now, saves you, not as a removal from dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Notice, when someone comes forward and says, I want to be baptized, what they are doing is, it is that soul by saying, I know I'm lost. I know I'm in sin. I know I have done wrong. And in this act of obedience, you've asked me to be baptized. I am coming to you and pleading, begging for you to wash my sins away, to cleanse my soul that I may be right to you. It is an appeal to God for a clean conscience. How does one make that appeal? Baptism. Through this act of obedience, I am asking, begging, pleading for you to forgive me and cleanse my soul. You see, when a man named Ananias came to that apostle Paul and preached to him the good news, that's exactly what he said to him in Acts 22, verse 16. And then I said to Paul, and, and why do you wait, rise and be baptized and wash away your sins? Notice, calling on his name. The calling on his name. That's not the sinner's prayer. That's not say what you want to say. How do you call on the name of the Lord? By being baptized. By listening to that Lord. By obeying his commands. You call on the Lord, pleading for his mercy through doing what he says. Do you see what this shows us? This implies a few things, doesn't it? And implies, first of all, the ability to do so. And babies can't do this. Young infants cannot do this. Small children cannot do this. They have neither the capability or understanding to make an appeal to God for a clean conscience. Oh, they can be baptized all the time. I baptize our children all the time as I give them a bath throughout the week. But there's not a conscience decision to turn from sin and to ask God for forgiveness. There has to be an ability, but it also implies the understanding of what it is I am doing. You see, there's a lot of reasons people can be baptized today. There are some who believe that in order to gain membership at a local church, like this congregation here, one would be baptized. And so if you want to be a member of this local family, you must first be baptized. But that's not taught in Scripture. In fact, do you notice that passage? Even kind of through the blue uh, parts there. Baptism is not an appeal to men for a clean conscience. I'm not appealing to brothers or sisters or elders at a church that they would accept me and see me as right. This is between me and God and an appeal between me and my Lord. And so being baptized to gain entrance into a church is not what the Bible teaches. And there are some who say, well, all right, but I'm baptized to show that I'm saved. I've been saved by God in his grace. And so I'm going to get baptized to signify or show or present to others that I've made that choice. But look again. 1 Peter 3, 21 says that this is an appeal to God for a good conscience, which means I don't have that good conscience before I'm baptized. Why would Paul say, or Ananias say to Paul, to wash away your sins in baptism if his sins had already been taken away from? It could be a lot of reasons I could be baptized. I need to know why it is that I'm coming before the Lord to seek a clean conscience and to do what is right. In fact, in your Bibles, will you go with me to Acts chapter 19? Because the question then naturally comes, well, what if then I've been baptized, but it wasn't for the right reason? Maybe I was baptized to become a member of a church, and that's not what the Bible teaches. 
Maybe I was baptized because I was getting a lot of pressure from mom or dad or friends, and people were saying, why aren't you doing this now? And I realized now I was just doing what others wanted me to do, and I wasn't necessarily pleading to God to forgive me. Acts 19 is our example. Because in Acts 19, Paul comes across some disciples who were in Ephesus. It says that while Apollos was at Corinth in verse 1, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, no, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. He said to them, and and to what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do you notice the difference? They were baptized under the baptism of John the baptizer. John the Baptist, we call him. There's a big difference between a baptism that prepares you for Jesus and a baptism into Jesus. And upon learning the truth, they weren't baptized the right way and the right reason. What did they do? Yeah, but we, we, we've done this before. And we don't want to disrespect those who baptized us and what they taught and what we understood. No. There's no loyalty to the past or a person or a memory or a church. They knew if I want to be right with Jesus, I need to do this in the right way for the right reason. And that needs to be our response. Maybe I've not been taught correctly or fully. Maybe I didn't fully understand. What's the answer? Verse 5, right here, right now, I'm going to make sure I'm right with my Lord, and I'm going to do it for the right reason, baptized, appealing to God for that clean conscience. In another sense, baptism from our perspective is a reflecting of Christ's sacrifice. In your Bibles, let's go together to the book of Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, Paul teaches beginning in verse 1 when he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. You notice what he says here. That what you and I are doing in obeying the gospel is in mirroring what Jesus did for us. What we just ate and we just drank and we just sang. That Jesus died for our sins. He took those sins and he took them on the cross. And if I want that life in him and I want to respond to that good news, I've got to die to my sins too. There's got to be a major change in my life, a change in my habits and my decisions and my morals and my thinking. I die, in essence, to the person I once was. Well, Jesus was buried, put in the tomb for three days. And those who wish to walk the same path of, of grace and forgiveness will not just die to their sins, but they will, in essence, bury that dead person, that dead man, underwater. So that as Jesus was raised from the grave, a new man, as Paul would say here in verse 9, never to die again. You and I are raised a new person, a new man, a new woman in Christ, new from the inside out, a new hope, a new perspective, a new Lord, a new priority, a new life. What we do in obeying the gospel is in mirroring what our blessed Savior did for you and I on the cross. Well, from God's perspective then, 
That's what we are doing and trying to, to accomplish through coming to the Lord and baptism. But from God's perspective, in one sense, it is the removal of our sins. And Ricky pointed to this from the book of Colossians chapter 2, where Paul would use the imagery of circumcision. Verse 11, he says that you were, in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands and the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Do you get the imagery? He says, in many ways, what is taking place in baptism is a lot like circumcision. In circumcision, you would cut away and remove the foreskin of the flesh. You would slice it, cut it, and then remove it, and it no longer is part of you. And he says, in baptism, that's the same thing taking place. God is the master surgeon. And then we coming, saying, God, I'm appealing to you. I know I am in sin, and I'm seeking your forgiveness. God, through this baptism, comes, and he cuts away and removes the sin from the soul. So you and I can be, notice the language, forgiven of all of our transgressions. That sin and that stain that once made us so impure and dark and lost has now been removed. Not through our work. No, as Paul says, it is the working of God. So in one sense, it's forgiveness. In another sense, it is clothing us with Christ. When we moved to Chattanooga, my family and I, there was a law that was established shortly after we moved there, and the law was essentially this. If you are convicted of driving under the influence of alcohol, one of your sentences is you have to go and you have to clean up the garbage and the rubble across on the roads, but you had to do so wearing this bright orange vest which says, I am a drunk driver. And so everyone who drove by and everyone who passed by the highways would know exactly what it is that that person had done. Now, I know we're flowing on a discourse with this study on baptism, but can you just appreciate that for a moment? Maybe just hitting pause. I think a lot of us live there, where we look in the mirror of our heart and all we see is those vests. Liar. Cheater. Hypocrite. We see the stains that we've accumulated over our, our life of rebellion against God. But one of the most amazing things about baptism, one of my most favorite pictures of what it is God is doing through baptism comes beginning in Zechariah chapter 3. Will you go there with me? The Old Testament book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 3, the prophet is shown the high priest Joshua. Zechariah chapter 3, it says in verse 1, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. That is his name, is it not? He is the accuser, and he loves to accuse and to cast blame and fault at all around him. And so in verse 2, the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. This is not a brand plucked from the fire. Now, Joshua, verse 3, was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel. He spoke and said to those who were standing before him, saying, remove the filthy garments from him. Again, he said to him, see, I have taken your iniquity away from you and will clothe you with festal robes. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. And so they put a clean turban on his head and clothed them with garments while the angel of the Lord was standing by. You get the imagery? 
Here's a man who is clothed in his sin and his stain. And Satan is standing saying, see, here's your high priest. Look at his stain and his sin. Look at his filth. And God says, silence. And one by one takes off those filthy garments and replaces it with something clean and pure and fresh. And those who come to God saying, I I want that so desperately. Please, please, I'm, I'm coming forward in this act of obedience of baptism. Would you please see someone like me as clean and forgiven again? Paul says that all of you who are baptized into Christ Jesus have clothed yourselves with Christ. In fact, if you take the imagery of what we just ate and we just drank, God takes that sin-stained garments that you and I have polluted from Isaiah 53 and verse 6, have laid those iniquities on him so that you and I can be given something new, something pure, something we don't deserve, something we can't live without. God is clothing us in Christ. And then we might say also in addition to this that it is adding to his church, not a local church. It has nothing to do with local church membership or anything of that nature. No, when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 13, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. That is the collection of all the saved of all time, of all place. God's great family, those who are numbered by his name, known by his name. And so in that scene in Acts 2, when those who were receiving the words of Peter, when they were baptized, it says that they were added that day, 3,000 souls. Added to what? The local church in Jerusalem? That church was just getting formed. No, they were added to the Lord's church. Those who were saved, God's family is who they were being added to. And that is said again in Acts 2.47, that the people were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And every day up to this point and forward, when someone comes to God in baptism saying, I want that forgiveness, God adds them. It's not to a registry list in terms of some kind of cold calculation like you're just enlisting in an army. No, he adopts you into his family. And now you're part of the group. You're part of the redeemed, the saved. So can you see what we've established up to this point at least? If I have turned from my sin and I have been baptized into the blood of Jesus, immersed in water, I can say then that my sins are washed away. My sins are washed away. I can say then that I am clothed with Christ. I'm no longer stained in my sin and known by my sin. I I am clothed in Jesus, pure and whole once again. I'm added to the saved. I'm not lost. I'm not alone and wondering. I'm part of God's amazing family, and I'm risen to a new life. I'm not the one I used to be. I'm not the person I used to be. Praise God for that amazing grace that we can start over new. And I can say that I am in Christ. I am in him it's relational it's foundational it's a person who is known by the savior but can you also see then that if i have not turned from my sin and if i have not been baptized by what the bible teaches by what the word of god teaches and the gospel teaches then my sins are not washed away i am still in my sins and i'm not clothed with christ i'm still in my clothes my sil- my sinful stained clothes 
I'm not added to the saved. I'm numbered with the lost, those who are outside of Christ. And I'm, I'm not risen to a new life. I'm just continuing to trudge through that old life that I've been living all along this, this way. Because ultimately, I'm, I'm not in Jesus. I'm on my own. And I will have to stand before the throne of God on my own. Well, what do I need to know then? Like, what would I need to know in order to be baptized? We saw some of that from 1 Peter 3 and verse 21. Realizing it is an appeal to God for a clean conscience. I need to know what it is I am doing. But I think sometimes people look at this and look at baptism and they say, I, I can get some of that, but you know, there's a lot of this story in this book that I just don't really understand. In fact, to be honest, there's, there's most of this book that I don't know and understand. Do you know that eunuch on the road? Do you know what he knew? So went along the road, Philip and this eunuch, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? Do you notice what Philip didn't say in verse 37? Tell tell me again, Mr. Eunuch, what what do you know about the church? Like, like tell me about the Lord's Supper. When we take the Lord's Supper and and, and the elements of the Lord's Supper, Tell, tell me again about Moses and the Exodus and what Leviticus is kind of generally about in Ezekiel. You'd realize, good brethren, the church had not even been formed yet. And so this man did not know about local churches or elders or deacons or Lord's Supper or singing hymns as we do on the first day of the week. There's likely most about Jesus that he probably still had not yet understood about what he came to teach and all that he had done. There might have been a lot of the Old Testament that maybe he was familiar with, but maybe not. But you know what he knew? There's a lot he didn't know, but what he did know, I'm a sinner and Jesus is the Savior. And the Savior says, if I believe in him and am baptized, I will be saved. Here's water. I want to be saved. Maybe I don't know everything. And I guarantee those who are here who have made this decision a long time ago still have a lot of learning yet to do. But do I know that I'm in sin? Do I know that I'm lost? Do I know that Jesus is the Son of God and he is offering to me grace upon grace? If I just believe in him and turn from my sin and baptized. Because what would keep me from coming? Well, aren't we saved then by the grace of God? I mean, I know you're saying all that, but what about grace? Where does grace enter this equation? Aren't we saved by the grace of God? Yes. Yes, we are saved by grace. By grace through faith. And we can stand on that and proclaim that with no caveats. We are saved by God's grace through faith. When we understand what Paul is saying here in Ephesians 2, he says in verse 8, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Here's what Paul is saying here. He says, for by grace you have been saved. That word grace, grace in and of itself is a feeling. It's a disposition of kindness and mercy and compassion. And so you say gracious words. You perform gracious acts. Grace begins here. Well, brethren, were we saved only by God's feelings of kindness and mercy? No. No, it was grace demonstrated by the plan formed so long ago before the world began. And by the Savior who came through a long lineage of family and people and tribes. And by the cross and by the blood, there's not one of us who would say that we're saved without any of those. And yet all of those brethren are acts of God's amazing grace. And the same way we're saved, in Romans 5 verse 15, he says it this way, the free gift is not like the trespass, for if 
Uh, many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. Not one of us would say we're saved without that gift of that grace. The same way faith. Well, we might say faith is what I know. Faith is what I trust in and understand, and that's true. But in the same way, how do we prove that faith? How do we know we really have faith in the first place? Well, it's, it's, it's a faith that obeys. It's a faith that turns from sin. It's a faith that speaks and makes known what is in my heart. And it's a faith that's willing to plunge itself in obedience to Christ under the water. You ready? A faith that obeys. A faith that repents. A faith that confesses. A faith that even is willing to be baptized. Romans chapter 1 and verse 5. Paul and the apostles, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of the faith. Not static facts from the word of God, but a living faith that brings about the people who do what it says. Repentance. Mark 1 and verse 15. The time came and it was fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, Jesus taught. Repent and believe in the gospel. Believe and turn from your sins. Believe in me and what I'm saying. And because you believe, you're going to leave your sin behind. Romans 10 and verse 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall believe this faith and confession, faith in the heart and confession from the mouth. Mark 16, 16. He who has believed and been baptized shall be saved. Do you, do you see the connection? Yes, I need faith, but it's a faith that's real and living and does what faith teaches. It does what that master says. Not one of us, and let's be clear on this today, We've said it, we know it, but let's just make sure we say it enough to where we remember it. Not one of us who have believed in the Lord Jesus and turned from our sins and confessed him as Lord and been baptized could ever say we earned heaven on our own. The only people who will be in God's home in heaven are those who are saved by his grace. As we looked at last week from Luke 17 and verse 10. So you too... When you do all the things which are commanded, that's you and I, commanded, that's what the Lord said. When we do what was commanded, you say, we are unworthy slaves. We have only done that which we ought to have done. I've simply just met the Lord's command. I just wanted to please him. And at the end of the day, the forgiveness of our sins, it's not that I can say, I forgive my sins. I, I forgave my sins. I washed them away. No, no, it is the working of God through our humble act of obedience who cleanses, who washes, who allows us to be whole. But what if I'm a good person? I, mean, I know some people probably need this. I got that. But I'm a good person, and I do good things. Like, I'm not nearly as bad as some other people. Remember, I'm not on magazines or news articles. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a good person. I do good things. And maybe that's the case. But the reality is it doesn't matter what good things I do at the end of the day. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In fact, in your Bibles, in the book of Acts chapter 10, will you go with me with uh, Acts chapter 10? In Acts chapter 10, Ricky mentioned this in his lesson at 9 a.m., that there's a man who really did good things. In fact, he did really good things. His name is Cornelius, and he's a centurion. He's described in Acts 10 and verse 2 as a devout man, one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come into him and said, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze upon him and being much alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. 
Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon who is also called Peter. All right, look at his, his LinkedIn account, his, his rapier here, his, his reputation. He's a devout man. He's a religious man who feared God. He prayed. He's an active religious devout man. He's a generous man who gave his money for those who were not even of his own race. And he had a religious experience because he saw an angel. An angel talked to him. But when you go to Acts chapter 11, after Peter has come and spent time with Cornelius, Peter is talking about this very event with some Jews who had known him. And then talking about this event, it says in Acts chapter 11, and in verse 13, about Cornelius, it says, And he reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa, and have Simon, who is also called Peter, brought here, and he will speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and all your household. What's that tell you? He was a good man. He was a religious man who prayed and did good things, and he had a religious experience. But he was still lost. But he still needed salvation. He still needed Jesus. And so Peter was sent to preach, to preach a message of salvation. And what did he preach? Jesus. Who Jesus was. What Jesus came to do. And in Acts chapter 10, verse 48, the conclusion of his message was this. He ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. The gospel message. And the response, hear the gospel, believe it, and be baptized. I'm just afraid, though, if I make this commitment, I'm not going to keep up to it. I'm afraid that if I make this choice, I get what you're saying, and I realize everything you're saying here, but I I don't want to start something knowing I'm going to fail. Do you know that I had this exact conversation with someone this year? I just, I don't want to give my life to Jesus and then fail him again. Can you feel that, brethren? Have you felt that? Because it wouldn't have been a glory if after those years when we gave our life to Jesus, we never turned back and we never looked back. be a wonderful thing if we could say with a guarantee you're going to give your life to Jesus and you're never going to sin again but that's not what grace is about no the blood of Jesus which Paul said in Romans 6 and verse 3 that we are baptized into is a blood that forgives and forgives and forgives every step of life's journey from here to home John wrote in 1 John 2 and verse 1 and 2, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. What he says, you have Jesus. That, that's why you obeyed the gospel. That's why you came, because now you have Jesus. And if we but confess our sins and turn to him, not running from God, not blaming them or hiding them, but if we come and bring our sins to him, we have the blood of the lamb and we have the promise of grace. And so, yes, we will fail. We will. But our failings cannot keep us from running to the place we belong. 
even in our broken failings, we come desperate asking for the healer to mend and make us whole once again. I don't know if I'm ready. Well, am I willing to become a disciple of Jesus? It's not, are you ready to be baptized? It's not, are you ready to make a decision? Are you ready to begin a lifetime of decisions? A lifetime of commitment, of following and learning more and more from Jesus. That was what Jesus told them to do. He didn't say, I want you to just go baptize people. He says, I want you to make disciples of the people, a people who are willing to submit and follow the master. So maybe we need to ask today, am I ready to become a disciple of Christ? Am I ready for that? Am I willing to die to sin? The things that kept me from Jesus, am I willing to die to that forever? To part ways with that old way of life? Am I willing to change my life to become more and more like Jesus in my thinking, in my language, in my habits? Am I willing to put Christ before all others in my life? Every other person, every other priority, every other commitment. Jesus is going to come first. Am I willing to continue to learn and to grow in God's words? Teaching them to observe all that I command you implies that we have a lot more we have to learn and to grow in our journey with Christ. Am I willing to do that? To be a lifelong student of the word of God? Am I willing to be part of a local congregation? Because the expectation of Christ is that we're not long ranger Christians living on our isolated islands, but that we'll become part of a family, which means there's responsibilities from you and I to one another. There's blessings, but there's also expectations that can be so enriching. Am I willing to do that, to become part of a family in Christ? And am I willing to be faithful to God, committed to this new life, until my life here on earth ends? Many of you know from uh, this summer, God, God, is, God is good. Uh, you pray from Colossians 4, and you ask God, I just want open doors to teach and preach the gospel. Your, your news and your word is perfect. And I know and I trust that if it meets a heart, I know that open and honest heart will receive it. And so you pray for God to bring people into your life, and you never know who God will will provide, what answers he will give. And so last year, they came in like, um, I don't know the Texas analogy, tumbleweeds from the west blowing in like the west. They blew in. <laughs> I don't know the analogy. They blew in from the west. It was Alex and then Austin and then Emma and then Eli. And if you don't know them, two of them I see are here today. I met with Eli, and if you don't know Eli, he's sitting in the back, uh, in the back uh, of our auditorium. He's young, but he's really smart for someone who's really young. There's a lot about God he didn't know, a lot about the Bible he didn't know, but he was a sponge, and anything, bless his heart, that I wanted to try and teach, uh, he would sit for hours and just soak it in and ask questions, and he just, he just was a great student of wanting to know and know more. Part of what prompted his journey was the fact that Eli was involved in a tra tragic accident a few years ago, which has left him bound to his wheelchair. But we studied and we studied and we studied, and there was a Thursday afternoon when he said, I want to be baptized. I said, why, why do you want to be baptized? He said, all I know is this. I know I've sinned and I know I'm wrong with God. And I know Jesus said that he'll forgive me. 
If I turn from my sin and I'm baptized, and I believe he means what he says. And so the two of us came over here, and we got up these stairs. And what would have been the easiest thing to just sit down on the step and to me to take him backwards into the water? It would have been the easiest for, for where he is. He said, I want to be baptized as if there were nothing wrong with my legs. So he held on to that wall, and he got to the middle of that baptistry. And in May of this year, we have a new brother in Christ. Because he said, I know I am a sinner. But I believe that if Jesus says, if I believe in him, if I turn from my sin and am baptized, he means what he says. Maybe you don't know all there is to know about the Word of God. Maybe you have a lot of questions about what all this is about, about the church and Jesus and the Bible and eternal life. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe and realize now that where you stand, you are lost because of the sin and choices you've made in your life? But would you be willing to give your life to him? Would you be willing, out of your faith, to turn from that sin and to be baptized? And today, leave forgiven. Today, leave adopted as a child of God. Born again, one who is heaven bound. And the question we give to you is the question Paul was given by Ananias. Why do you delay? If you know that this is where you are and you are ready today to make this decision, to make this commitment, you need not wait another moment. Today is your morning. If you are ready to give your life to Jesus, you believe in the words of Jesus, and you are willing to start this journey, today is your day. Don't wait another moment. We have a song prepared for that very purpose. If you are ready and we can help you, let's do it. Don't delay. Do not wait. Let's do it right now. Let's do it as we stand and as we sing. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.